Welcome to Go and Make from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, equipping you to live the great commission of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, welcome back to the next edition of Go and Make. This week in studio, we have a, a good friend I've gotten to know the last few years in ministry, Pete Barak, who is the Vice President of Renewal Ministries. Welcome, Thanks, Brian. Welcome to the show, I, I like the I like the, the setup here. This it's is awesome. Very fancy Archdiocesan podcast. Like, yeah, you know, we're, <laughs> fancier than I've seen oh, in well, different places. I mean, this is well done. Yeah, it's really well we're done. We're making it happen. We love it. Yeah, so, good. Uh, Pete is in town for the Catholic Men for Christ conference earlier today before we recorded. Uh, so if we're like, you know, tired... <laughs> Maybe a little hungry before we go to dinner here. A little hangry. Yeah. A little hangry. If it comes through, maybe this will be like a really spitfire episode. Could you know, get spicy. Fired up, but I'm fired up because it was a great day. It was a great conference. We had about 850 guys um, just being open and, and responding to what the Lord was doing in their life, and I felt like it was a great day. So thanks for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. No, it was a great day. I mean, these men's conferences are can be so life-giving when the guys show up ready to go, and it felt like from the drop, everybody wanted to be there and was hungry and engaged. It was good. It was really good. We'll see when we get the surveys and the angry emails <laughs> yeah. later. You know, yeah. it wasn't everything to everyone, but yeah. I think it was uh, a really good thing for a lot of the guys yeah, who were there. For so. sure. Yeah. It was good. Uh, so you work in Renewal Ministries, vice president uh, up there. Can you tell us a little bit about what Renewal Ministries is for those who don't know? Sure. Yeah. So we were founded by a guy named uh, Ralph Martin in the early 80s uh, to basically try to evangelize and disciple and invigorate, renew the Catholic Church. And so uh, what that has looked like over the years is lots of different things. But primarily, we have been feel like we've been given a message uh, Jesus is Lord. Repent and believe in the gospel. Be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. There, I like that message. Yeah, it's yeah. all <laughs> the stuff that you talk about. Yeah, so stuff in the document. I mean, this is this is the heart of the church. We like to say, kind of affectionately, that we're trying to be in the radical center of the gospel, not being drawn into too many polarizations type stuff, but very focused on what does Jesus actually teach and what does the church uh, brought to us and how is that applied to our lives. And so there's this message that has been, I think, the Lord has put in our hearts. Uh, since the beginning, and it's taken various forms of, you know, radio and TV and international missions and priest convocations and books and all those things. And then along the way, different methods have been kind of slapped on to perpetuate that message. So we have an outreach to young women called the Be Love Revolution. We have an outreach to young men called Forged. We have some young adult discipleship stuff happening, international missions, like I mentioned, and then just a whole bunch of different ways to proclaim it. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we... We, we don't build renewal ministries in different places. We just kind of go where we're invited and uh, try to be a blessing to the local church and empower people to both know the Lord themselves, but then to go out and share the gospel. And, and rooted a lot of times in the charismatic renewal and really very uh, actively discerning the Holy Spirit and where it's calling you in that moment, of course, um, but also long term. And um, yeah, I just think you see so many things in the church, and there's great roots in the charismatic renewal. You know, Steubenville, of course, has great roots in yeah. the charismatic renewal, and a lot of people involved there. And, and, you know, we have a lot of people here in St. Louis who are involved with our Steubenville Youth Conference and the high school conference. And um, it's charismatic, but it's not even maybe—sometimes I think it's charismatic light. Like, it's, I don't think people realize even how much of the influence of the charismatic renewal that started in the 70s and 80s uh, has has influenced those things. And they look a little different now than maybe they did then, and, and there's many branches of this tree, but uh, it's borne just like an incredible amount of fruit in the church in the United States. It's mm -hmm. great. Yeah, and I think there's a, an important distinction often when the word charismatic gets thrown around to, to make between uh, kind of personal stylistic preferences and... Um, like the essence or principles of what it means to be Catholic. So like all of us in the church, the church has consistently taught this and the popes have consistently taught this. We're all charismatic in so far as we are filled with charisms. We are all, the church is launched into the world on Pentecost. And so the, the church perpetuates that Pentecost reality for us through our baptism and more specifically through our confirmation. So the expectation is that every single person, every single confirmed person, baptizing confirmed person is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then empowers us in the, through the charisms to go build the kingdom. Uh, supernatural grace to be both holy and to be effective in mission. And so the charismatic renewal as like a movement emerged to to emphasize and in, in some ways rediscover that full life of the spirit that we see in Acts of the Apostles. Um, and so like in renewal ministries, we aren't 
members of the renewal per se. We're very friendly and we're, you know, we've been very blessed by the the movement itself, but we would absolutely say like, I'm a, I'm a Pentecostal Catholic, just like everybody who's confirmed is. And, um, and, and then trying to make some distinctions about like stylistic preferences of body postures for prayer or music that you like are all important to, to pay attention to and to acknowledge. But one thing I like to say is there's, there's nothing more traditional than to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Like there's no such thing as a more traditional Catholic than somebody who's living a Pentecost reality, because that's literally the, the beginning of the church in a public expression was on Pentecost. And so to be a traditional Catholic is to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so how that expresses itself, we can have a fun discussion about that. But um, I, I think it's a non-negotiable for the life of a Catholic is to be filled with and be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think sometimes in our Catholic reality, we see people who are doing things well, or we see growth, and we try to we want to imitate it, or just try to to do exactly what someone else is doing. So you can look at the charismatics and say, well, they're speaking in tongues, or they're you know that's the, that's the one everyone can point to very sure. obviously. Yeah, or particular music or body or, postures, or, yeah, or exa- things like that. Um, but the Holy Spirit can work in in many different ways, and it's not just those external or more visible gifts. But there's really some deeper things that. That if we're not seeing those in our lives, then we're actually missing out on what the church wants of us to go forth. We can't we can't be good evangelists unless we're tapped into that power of the Holy yeah. Spirit. Like in Corinthians, Paul talks about to each is given an a portion a portion of the Spirit for the good. So and he and then he goes on and if uh, Ephesians talk about some are called to apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, and at another point he talks about we're not all hands and feet. Like you know, there's these all these moments where Paul is talking about how the Spirit equips the body of Christ for not only for her own, you know, for the the sanctification of those who are in the body, but to be a vessel, to be a witness, to be a, a place where the world who does not know him can come to know him and also enter into this this salvific work that the church is all about. And so, yeah, I mean, and, and to me, there's some very simple audits to take of like, am I filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, look at Galatians, um, the fruits of the Spirit. Paul gives a very clear list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you didn't have to sing a song. I didn't. I, yeah. It was in my head. Okay, I just didn't right. do it out loud. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's a great list to pray with. And um, especially like in Lent to say like, okay, if the fruits of the Spirit, a fruit is a visible thing. You know, it's not the seeds of the Spirit. It's the fruits of the Spirit. A seed is hidden. A fruit is tangible. It's, it's obvious. It's external. Yeah. Now, you're not... You're not loving if people don't experience you as loving. You know, like you can tell me you're loving all the, all day long, but if you don't love, then you're not actually loving or patient or kind or gentle. Where's your self control if it's just internal? <laughs> like that doesn't make any you're sense. Not doing anyone any good. No, exactly <laughs> right. right. And so it's a wonderful way to do a little Holy Spirit audit of to sit down with those the fruits of the Spirit and say, okay, Lord, like, am, am I seeing these things? Or better yet, if you have a spouse or something, like, ask your spouse. Because that that'll be revealing. I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then the recommendation is not to. We can't. It's it's hard to say. I'm going to do all of them all at once. It's no. It's a work of God in you. To that then is it flows out into the way you live your life. And so a lot of times it's like, okay, Lord, which one do you want me to work on most? Like, okay, Pete, I want you to be more patient. Great. As I ask the Holy Spirit to help me become more patient, I'm going to become more loving. And the more loving I become, the more kind I become. And the more kind I become, the more self-control I have. And next thing you know, all the fruits of the Spirit are be are growing and more abundant in your life, even as you might just emphasize one of them. But at the end of the day, it, it behooves us and is um, really important for each individual disciple to spend some time saying, am I allowing the Holy Spirit to work in my life? Am I open to all of what the Holy Spirit has for me? Not just the things I'm comfortable with, not just the things that fit my personality, but are very much... What, God, what do you want to do in my life? Yeah, I think we we think a lot about interior growth, you know, and, and trying to become holier, like interiorly, internally, that internal forum. And I think what one of the things that I learned a lot through Focus was just this call to fruitfulness. And that, you know, Focus talks a lot about spiritual multiplication and kind of generational fruitfulness. So the 2 Timothy 2.2, well, you've heard from me before when he many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And there's you're teaching men and you're, you're teaching them how to teach, teach teachers to teach. Yeah. And and I think that there's been moments in my own ministry and and life, diocesan life, where where you forget that. Like I just want to do a nice thing for Jesus. Like I'm gonna go build 
uh, theology on tap. We're going to get hundreds of young adults. It's, it's going to be great, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to draw people in. But it's not necessarily being fruitful in the way that it's called to be if it's not sending them back out. And, we, and Archbishop has talked a lot about recently here that we're using the wrong metrics, that we're talking about who's coming and, and mass attendance. And those are things we should monitor, and they can be downstream and all that. But, but really, the Christian life is meant to be fruitful. And uh, there's, there's an uncomfortable reality sometimes that we're not, we're not willing to look into that and, and say, it's okay to talk about why I'm not being fruitful. You know, so it's not, a, it's not a judgment or an accusation on someone else, but it can just be the, the accountability question that really this idea of fruitfulness is not, or this idea of accountability rather, is not me telling you you're doing wrong, but it's saying we're on this journey together. How's it going? Because if we're following the Lord the way we should, there's going to be some fruit. Now, that doesn't mean that our, our churches are necessarily going to be overflowing because we're being so fruitful every week. It doesn't mean there's not going to be suffering or hardship or, or a lot going on in the church, but we have to become more comfortable talking about where is the fruit in our ministry and our own personal lives, too. Mm-hmm. And all fruitfulness flows from uh, intimacy, first and foremost, with the Lord. You have to abide with Him in order to, to bear fruit. So it starts with your personal walk with the Lord of do you, are you falling more deeply in love with Jesus? So that all fruitfulness is tied to intimacy. And then all fruitfulness is also tied really to whether you want to use the word faithfulness or obedience. Um, Jesus, I've, I've been kind of preoccupied with this recently of how often Jesus talks about obedience. And, uh, you know, at one point he says like, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Like he's putting some conditions there. there. That yeah. is a really yeah. serious. It does he love us any less? No. Is he any less merciful, or, or is the mercy still available to? Of, of course not. Like it, it, that his mercy is endless. His love is you know transcendent. But the experience of that love and the um, the edifications edificaciousness is that a word? I just made Eth- it up. Efficaciousness. I think that's the word. I'm that's the for. one. Yeah. All of that. We're not going to edit that out. We're yeah. That no. In there. Yeah, yeah. For sure. That's real. That's real. <laughs> uh, all of that is. There are there are real conditions to it, and and Jesus talks about it like I no longer call you slaves, but friends, because I've revealed to what the Father is doing. But when He says things like, um, "You are my friends if you do what I command you," it's like, wow, that obedience is really important to God. And the other thing, He, you know, He He models it for us because He tells us multiple times that He's doing only what He sees the Father doing. You know, he, he, he is showing us the beauty of obedience by he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. So Jesus is saying, I'm obedient to the Father, and now I'm inviting you to be obedient to me. And when you're obedient to me, and you have an intimate relationship with me, and you abide with me, and apart from me, you can do nothing anyway. So when you put all that together, what that produces is fruitfulness in your life. And too often we kind of, uh, I don't know, disintegrate some of that or pull those things apart or don't highlight all, all the relationship of all those elements together and then wonder why we're not fruitful. Um, because at the end of the day, all fruitfulness is still God-produced. like You know, we are cooperating in His mission. He's not cooperating in our mission. <laughs> you know, like we are, we are joining Him in what He's about and playing our role in what He's the protagonist of not the other way around. We don't have to like go around the world in our lives trying to convince him to go on mission. We're not, we're not going into a restaurant being like, oh, I hope I can generate a mission opportunity so that God can do something. No, everywhere we go, God is moving. Every person we meet is being passionately pursued by the triune God. Every, the Lord desires that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, right? So we don't have to convince Jesus of anything when it comes to fruitfulness. It's more of like everywhere I go, a posture of a disciple is saying, Lord, what are you doing here? And do you want me to do it with you? And if you do, I'm all in because I'm obedient. And if you don't, that's fine too, you know? Yeah, there's a real, like there's an analogy to marriage here, I think too sometimes. Sure. That if I serve my wife in the way that I want to serve her, it doesn't go particularly well. I think of the episode of The Simpsons where Homer brings a, a bowling ball for Marge for, <laughs> a, for her birthday or something yeah. and it's engraved with his name on it, yeah, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> like I've had that moment in my, in my marriage more or sure. less, you know? Sure. And uh, that doesn't bear fruit when I do it the way that I want. You know, mm-hmm. So it's really, it's in the, in the offering and in the dying and the emptying of myself to that obedience that it actually bears fruit. Unless a grain of wheat, you know, fall and die, it remains but a grain of wheat. So mm-hmm. there's, a, 
there's a self-emptying and a suffering that has to be there too. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be this like big drawn out suffering that, that, you know, we can draw a lot of attention to, or we shouldn't do that anyway, but like maybe not in the way that we think of, of suffering, but just in that complete emptying of ourselves to imitate the way that Christ did that for us, that was fruitful. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way we're going to be fruitful too. Yeah. And obedience is such like a dirty word these days. Like the world is convinced that to be free is to throw off the shackles and to like define for oneself what life is all about. The idea of submitting to like a higher power or a, a philosophical narrative or any sort of moral code that is in any way imposed on you seems like the epitome of of you know slavery. That that, that it's it's to hold you down to keep you constrained. And the, the Christian worldview is the exact opposite. The more we obey, the more we surrender, the more we, you know, Paul talks about in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. You know, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul's offering that as like the solution to the, the slavery we're in. We are actually slaves until we are crucified with him. We are wretched until we are crucified with him. We are depraved until all the all of those things that the the world would actually it's it's just like a complete inverse of what the world is trying to tell us. Well our our modern world, our modern culture is is rooted in like a, a rugged individualism. hundred percent. And so Monsignor Shea was in town for Seek and uh his his keynote got all the love. But if I don't know if you heard his breakout session he did, and it was about loving the church when it's hard, basically mm, like mm. loving a broken church mm. and, and and serving in a broken church, and and he starts it off uh, with like a fifteen minute history lesson on on the Enlightenment, you know, yeah. and, and the effects uh, the effects of that and where we are in our culture today, and um, it's just a it's a great succinct summary something i've learned about and thought about and he said it better than i've ever said it of course or, yeah, or yeah. ever heard it for that yeah, matter yeah, for he, sure he kind of has He's that, brilliant he kind of has that gift uh so check it out if you can go to the seek replay and check that out um but 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 i think that's it it's that we think and, and his his main point was we think we were promised utopia and we think that utopia is something that we can achieve by what we do right and that never is going to work in the church. We can't perfect the church. We can't force fruitfulness. It's only in emptying and submission that there's any sort of fruitfulness. And the only way we achieve utopia is by dying and going to heaven. Mm-hmm. Like so, mm-hmm. it's this. But this. But what our culture tells us is we can we can achieve perfection. We can do it ourselves. And that um, you know, modernity is the answer to all of, of the problems of antiquity. You know, of, of the past and. Um, we get into trouble when we try and do it ourselves in the church, and, yeah. and that's when that's where we have the Protestant Reformation and Martin Luther thinking he can do things outside of the church or reform the church on his own. Mm-hmm. And and I think you know, in terms of evangelization, tying it back into our topic, we're supposed to be talking about. Um, no, it's good. <laughs> is that like in parish life, it can be really hard to have that kind of obedience. There's an obedience to Christ, but there's also an obedience to his hierarchical, hierarchical church. We're just going to struggle with words today because yeah, yeah, yeah. we're dying. It's been a long day. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think when you see a pastor of a parish believe in something and bless something in his heart, in his prayer, that ministry has a different character than an individual parishioner who's out there trying to do something in spite of his pastor or in spite of that parish. And I think a lot of times when we don't see the fruitfulness we want in our ministry, it's because we haven't actually discerned it well. And I, what I mean is like we have individual discernment, but we also have communal discernment. And and I, we talked about this recently on an episode with our vocations director that, that a man discerns the seminary and says, I want to be a priest. And then the church discerns the man yeah. <laughs> and says, we want you to be a priest. And and some guys, they don't. And some guys don't aren't called and that's okay. And I think in, there's a real analogy and a real application to that in parish life too, in that we have to discern as a community what are these charisms and where is the Lord pouring out His grace on our parish. And we try and do it ourselves. I think we're really missing something. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. And I, this is a nuanced and complicated and not um, one size fits all conversation in the sense of like every example of where a, a parishioner does it on their own could also be equal to a, a, a pastor who's really making poor decisions or, you know, like there's, there's yeah, every not, angle that could be evaluated. Right. I think the key thing though, that you said several times was uh, that I'd like to highlight is like that discernment piece 
of, and so what is discernment then? Discernment is both the belief and the action that God is speaking and we can hear and understand him. So like a lot of times I think we throw out the word discernment as if it's just like this, some nebulous, well, you know, the path will just reveal itself. And it's like, well, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'll just speak for myself. I've, I've been in seasons of discernment where I'm not actually praying. Doesn't go very well, does it? No, but yeah, I think I'm yeah. discerning. Somebody right. like, oh, what do you? Well, I'm discerning whether we should do this or this. And it's like, okay, but have you actually spent time listening to the Lord, in in and actually drawing upon the intimacy that should be present as part of this? Like, you can't discern something unless you're in a relationship with the the author of the something. Like, you can't expect to hear God's voice if you don't know God. And I know that sounds like so obvious and fundamental, but it's amazing how often we don't actually think that way. Well, we just kind of think it's a good idea or it looks good on a sheet of paper or, oh, the money's there for it, therefore it must be okay, or the money's not there for it, therefore it must not be okay. Yeah. You know, like there's all sorts of ways that... Well, I, I think discernment, like prayer, I, sometimes we think that prayer is thinking about God. Like, That's I, well said. I think about God all day long. I think about God in my life. I want to do the right thing for God. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like guilty. <laughs> like yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I fall into this all the time too. And it's like I think ministry professionals, and I know there's plenty of ministry professionals who listen to the podcast too. Like uh, who work in parishes. Like we're you're giving it all, and your your life is consumed with thinking about God and what you're trying to do for God and and ideally with God. But that's different than prayer. That's different than and and and. And prayer can be really dry sometimes. It doesn't mean that like prayer automatically feels different than thinking about God sometimes, mm. but but there is a real difference there. I, Father Jacques Philippe has a great little book called Time for God. Yeah. Um, great little primer on how to pray. And he says, you know, when you go to pray, commit to a certain amount of time before you go to pray. So if you're going to say, I'm going to pray for 20 minutes, go pray for 20 minutes. He said, the Lord actually oftentimes withholds the fullness of the grace he wants to bestow upon you until the last minute of prayer. Because there's a test of faithfulness there. Mm -hmm. The Lord wants your whole heart. He wants your whole commitment. And so you can go for 19 and a half minutes of, of, of seemingly bad prayer, but the Lord is, is calling you and wants your heart and to pour out the grace there. So I just think that, yeah, that, that the real discernment is, is the, has to be the fruit of, of real divine intimacy that that I think is um, unfortunately uncommon in yeah, the church. Yeah, I think sometimes because it, it feels too simplistic. It almost feels too like, okay, yes, but. It's like, it's like yeah, yeah, of course I need to pray, but we need to do this strategic plan. Or we need, and there's nothing, to, I, you know, hear me. I'm not talking, I'm not disparaging strategic plans or vision statements or anything like that. That is not what I'm trying to say. Um, it's, but... Again, especially when you've been a professional in this for a while, there is a certain way where, like, you just can almost assume that you've been praying because you've been thinking, like you said, thinking about God, thinking about the situation, reading a good book. I mean, there's so many ways that we can. And then at the end of the day, you go, actually, but I'm not sure I've actually talked to the Lord about this. And marriage is a great example of this. Um, it's amazing how often you can go, again, I'll just speak for myself, we can go a couple of days where my wife and I have been around each other. You know, we've talked, we've communicated, we've given each other a hug, we've, but we haven't really like connected, you know, survived, you've yeah. survived, <laughs> yeah. we're not in any sort of crisis, right? And we've generally made good decisions, but then a sec all of a sudden it's like a couple of days in, it's like, man, we haven't really like really connected, you know, like eyeball to eyeball, how are you doing? How am I doing? How are the kids doing? You know, um, and so some of that is totally natural because we're fickle, dumb sheep, you know, and we're going to be bumping around all over the place. And the Lord understands this, and he's very gentle and patient with us. But at the same time, persisting in that or not um, somewhat regularly acknowledging that and pay attention to that is really problematic because then what can emerge is something we talk about at Renewal all the time is the difference between a good idea and a God idea. Um, obviously, all God ideas are good. You know, but there's not always, there's sometimes good ideas emerge like this, like, oh, that, that would be a good thing to do. And you're like, yeah, it might very well be a good thing to do. But if God's not in it, if he's not inspiring it, if he's not anointing it, then we actually shouldn't do it. And, or somebody else should do it, or we should do it in a different way, or we should wait to do it until he's in it. And man, that's been one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn because my boss, Ralph Martin is, 
is so committed to this <laughs> and so focused on this. And sometimes like, annoying. Well, so, yeah, maybe sometimes no. I'm just like, I think, I think we should do this. You know, I even think the Lord might be in it. And it, there's like the sense of, no, we need to wait. We need to wait. We need to wait. And then when he feels like, okay, God's in it, it at least in our experience, it's like, well, oh, watch out. Now it's time. If we tried to do it before, it's not going to work. But we do it now, psh, away we go. So. so I think about our parishes again here, right? So our parishes look and see what the neighboring parish is doing. Um, so the example I'll use is, is Axe Retreats. It's a Curcio model yeah, retreat, right. very popular here in St. Louis. And they've kind of made a big wave all throughout St. Louis. And, and I, think, I don't think there's many things in St. Louis that have had a more profound impact on helping people who are in the thick of it in, in life with kids and whatever and getting past that phase, just have a profound encounter with Jesus to step back and do that. But, but I think what you see is sometimes those different retreat programs can run their course a little bit too. And then if all we're doing is looking at the neighboring parish and seeing what they did that worked a little bit, and then we try and do it, and then it's like, okay, but this is now, this is just what we do, and we're just going to keep doing it. Right. And so I, I love those types of retreats. I love getting people to step away and all that. And I think the discernment is, okay, well, is that what we need to be putting our time and energy and effort yeah. into right now? And is it bearing the fruit that we need it to bear? And, and in some places, I think it absolutely is. But I think that it's hard in our day-to-day -day lives to have the courage to discern that. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think that like, like, it would take a lot of courage for an axe leader or a retreat leader or whatever it is. I'm, I'm not just picking on axe. I'm, now I'm going to get axe yeah. emails. No. Alpha. Yeah, and what, yeah, all, yeah, yeah fill yeah. in the blank. Yeah. Youth ministry, youth groups, whatever. You know, help with young adult ministry. Too. Yeah, young adult ministry. Like all of it. To say, can we stop doing this thing that is good mm -hmm. to do what the Lord is calling us to do? Mm -hmm. It's a hard conversation. Oh, yeah. It takes a tremendous amount of, again, intimacy. But, uh, the, the trust that the Lord is in charge, that he's good, and that um, there are going to be seasons of famine and seasons of plenty, and that uh, offering it to him throughout both always is always the most fruitful and the most right and just thing to do. Um, but I, I do think sometimes it's we can start to do something and it becomes fruitful and it works, and then instead of attributing, and as we go on, instead of attributing the success of it to the Lord working through it, we start to kind of attribute it to the model or the framework mm. or the strategy. And we, without intentionally doing so, I, I've, 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 I don't think I've ever met a leader who's like intentionally decided that this model is now the idol of their, you know, like that we're worshiping this. But the, by, But when you look at the behavior, it's like, actually... The, the hope is in the model. The hope is in the strategy. The hope is in the talk outline. The hope is in the, you put, insert whatever. Right. Um, when in reality, this like... This is how we do it. This yeah. is how we do it. Yeah. And and sometimes the, this is how we do it is 100% because that's the Lord wanting it to be done that way. And then sometimes that this is how we do it is actually pe our unwillingness to be humble, be obedient, and to ask him, Lord... Is this how you want us to do it? We uh, in in college we had a um, an adoration and prayer night. It was called Raven Worship up at Benedict, and we weren't we weren't worshiping the Raven, yeah. <laughs> which was our mascot, but it was Rave and Worship, like you know, really clever name. Oh, I like it. It was yeah. going on, and I was helping with the get wild. Yeah. I mean, in yeah. the Abbey, in the Abbey crypt, <laughs> where the charismatics sometimes meet. Things did get wild down there. No, it was great. Um, so we would do this once a month, and I was on like the core team for it, helping with the band. And we went in uh, for an end-of-year meeting with with one of the monks, Father Brendan, who was a man of uh, phenomenal, great discernment, very holy man. And we kind of went in for our end-of-year uh, check-in because he was the you know the moderator for it or whatever. We said, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to add these people to the band next year. We'll see what the freshmen are, and we'll do this and that, whatever. And uh, he just he just stopped in his office, and, and he, he goes, is this what the Lord wants for Benedictine College? Is this what the college needs right now, just an adoration and, and praise and worship night. And I, you know, I'm particularly fond of adoration and praise and worship nights myself. And I was like, well, of course it is. And he said, well, let's pray. And we prayed in the office right there. And about two hours later, <laughs> um, we came out and we ended up founding a whole new ministry. Uh, and it was called Exalt, um, hmm. which is, you know, 
in many places the name of Praise and Worship and Adoration Nights. But this was, it was something different. And we formed a, a secular band and we had uh, a party kind of atmosphere different than the adoration. And we were just trying to reach different students that weren't already bought in and involved. Hmm. And, you know, the next number of years, like this outreach on, on campus. And, and, you know, when I went to Benedictine, uh, it wasn't quite what it is now in terms of like amazing, strong, vibrant Catholic identity. I had, we had, you know, Dr. Shri, who was with us at the men's conference today, yeah. was was there and I learned a lot from him. But it was really in this, we were talking about this last night. He said, you know, when you were at Benedictine, it was in this transition phase. Mm-hmm. And there's a real battle for the identity of the campus. And uh, this outreach recognized that that we didn't just need to feed the people who were already on board and who were already coming. It was, it was, there's a whole group of people out here who are looking at you like, what are you doing and why, like, what does it mean? Hmm. And, and we wanted to find a way to, to train people who are the, the other leaders to go out and engage those people in conversation and bring them to the event and open up the questions and have a talk that was not a catechetical talk, but it was a win talk, you hmm. know? And it really, like, it was really a, a, a powerful moment of just that. It was someone saying, like, this is good. We could keep doing it. Our numbers would probably grow because the college is attracting more people who would want that. But how do we transform the college we have now as opposed to slowly trying to build the college we want to have eventually? Mm-hmm. And it was uh, it was a really formative moment for me just in terms of understanding, like, just practically, like, just that, that question is, like, is that what the Lord wants? It was a dangerous, <laughs> it was a, it's a dangerous question. Yeah, and yeah, it's dangerous. It's it's humbling. It's uh, always humbling. It's yeah, never it's always what I hum- want. it's never exactly what you want for sure, and it usually requires some degree of death, right? Yeah. Of death to, um, you know, an identity. A lot of times, we allow things to be grafted into our identity to say, like, well, part of who I am is to to lead worship at these things. So to say we're not going to do that feels like a a splintering of your identity or there's so many different ways that it can manifest itself. And so that's where um, leadership is really important to have somebody like Father Brendan be able to bring that up and lead you in that. Huge, you know, uh, to then also then to be able to look back and celebrate it. I think the church, we don't, we are so um, often trapped by the urgency of the moment we're so focused on like the here and now because there's just so many things that need to get done and people that need to be served and babies that need to be baptized and, you know, marriages that need to happen and stuff, which is all really good. But like we don't do a very good job, in my experience in the church and most parishes of kind of like celebrating what's worked and like yeah. honoring something to say like, okay, and to mourn. So when something has run its course, we should both celebrate the fruit and mourn the change. Because then it, it it helps the people say, okay, like, yeah, this is hard. It's okay to acknowledge. Like, I've been in men's groups before where they were incredibly fruitful. And then and then we had to, we were forced to break up for a variety because more people needed to be in the men's group, you know? And so we were splintered. And we never took a time to really, like, mourn the re- loss of the relationship and the dynamic. It was the right decision to, to move on because we needed to invite more people in and all that. But because we didn't really get to a chance to kind of decompress or, you know, process the change, it actually left a sour taste in some guy's mouth because it was like, yeah, I was ready to just keep going. Okay. Yeah, good. We got to get more guys. Like I'm more naturally disposed to that. But some guys felt like it was like a real wrenching of a relationship, you know? And so to be able to, um, take the time necessary to recognize like some of this is going to be easy to be excited about. And some of this is going to be really challenging. And so let's celebrate what was good and let's mourn what has been lost or needs to be changed. And now, but then, and then simultaneously all that cast the vision for why something it needs to be changed. And when you do that all together, it, 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 it's not going to be perfect. It's still going to be messy. Any change is messy. Um, but it's more likely than not to both be more fruitful and to be honoring of people's experience. And, uh, you know, culture is one way, way to understand a culture of anything is what you celebrate and what you tolerate. What, it, what, what you're willing to celebrate and acknowledge as good f- forms a culture and what you tolerate, what you don't curb, what you, what yeah. you allow to fester. And when you look at Ooh, parishes from those really lenses, good. it's a fascinating thing to think about. What do we actually celebrate in our parish? Like The holy sacrifice of the mass. No. Yeah. Oh, we celebrate it. Yeah, we do. Right. Yeah, that's the yeah. technical term for <laughs> what right. we do. Yeah. But like it, one way to think about it is like if you, if you just grabbed a faithful parishioner out of the pew and said, what does Father care about most? That's, that's informative. That is very informative, because most parishioners who come to Mass every Sunday know what, the, what 
the pastor cares about most. And of course, he cares about Jesus and he cares about, but like, what what does your culture value? Well, what does what would the parishioner say? And then again, most faithful parishioners have some sense of something that's being tolerated that nobody seems to want to do anything about. Yeah, I mean, we all, I mean, we can all sit around and talk about the problem. Like, it's really easy to identify the problem oftentimes. You know, I've spent many, many of my Bible studies that failed to talk about the Bible and talked about what our parish could be doing better or the church could be sure. doing better and all this kind of diagnosis. But to really get into, like, the attachments we have to, to maybe to complaining about it instead of actually trying to, to, to buck up and fix it. I, yeah. That's a really great. Um, I would love to. I'm going to start asking that question <laughs> to, to parishioners. No, and I'll give you an example. Yeah. So our our home parish uh, where we go to mass, our family and I that I've been a part of forever. Um, I know that Father Ed is all in on love of Jesus. Preaches about it almost every weekend. The love of Jesus. The love of Jesus comes out, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He is deeply, deeply passionate about um, vocations. And he's deeply passionate about the military and serving the military. He's deeply passionate about our Jewish brothers and sisters. And so when you look at the behavior of the parish, right, just in our one parish alone, in the last 20 years, we've had, uh, I think it's close to over 30 priests just in our parish have been ordained priests. Yeah, not seminarians. Not seminarians, priests, ordained priests from one parish. It's been an emphasis, okay? Uh, the number of people, the families, and we 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 have about ninety six percent mass attendance. Yeah, you don't go to a uh, what we would call a typical parish. No, right. But part of it is because he emphasizes the love of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, and those two things lends itself to wanting to receive the Eucharist. We have a sister parish in Bethlehem that we raise a lot of money every year for our sister parish in Bethlehem. Why? Because Father Ed loves our Jewish brothers and sisters, and he makes it a priority for our, our parish. And then the military. Every um, Christmas Eve Mass, uh, every active duty military uh, person shows up in uniform. They bring the gifts up, and the whole parish gives them a standing ovation. Like, that says something, you know? It's a, it's a beautiful thing, and it's part of our culture as a parish is to love and, and to pray for and to um, acknowledge our the, the military. And that that's just... Like every parishioner, you could pull any parishioner of Christ the King, I, I guarantee you, who goes to Mass on a weekly basis, and they would say something, basically... They'd probably hit four out of five. Four out of the of, five of know, those of exact those, same yeah. things. Well, and I think that, you know, the other half of that is what do we tolerate? And uh, Exactly. That's the conversation that we end up trying, <laughs> that we end up having sometimes when we're complaining about it. But it's, you know, we there, there's just things in our church that, like, they seem like there's no other way to do it, or we just can't... So the line I've been using about our our podcast and our project lately is we're trying to build a Catholic imagination for evangelization. Hmm, I like that. Because because our our parishioners don't know what's even possible. Our pastors don't even know what's possible. Our priests don't know what's possible. I don't even know what's possible sometimes. I get limited in by my own experience or my own worldview and things like that, and I want to dream with Jesus. I I, want to let Jesus dream in me, and, and I think these things that we tolerate in our parishes, um, you know, they're, they're, every organization has values, like all the corporate values and things like that. We have our defined values and, and, uh, you listen to like leadership podcasts, they talk about this, right? They talk about like, oh, you know, you, you can say your values and you're going to you know, list them out. We are, we're servant leaders and we're fill in the blank, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the people who are like in the organization are like, yeah, but really, we're not, you know, and what they are is they, they tend to be aspirational values. They're things that we're striving yeah. for, or we're trying to be. But you also have like if you, you know, if you do the poll like under the scene, behind the scenes, people would say that what the company values are actually often very different things because the culture is formed by by what you do. One of my uh, coworkers here, Dave, has worked for he he formerly worked for Anheuser Busch for for thirty five years, and he said, "Listen, in corporate America, people work on what you measure." And you measure what you value most, you know? And again, not just in terms of in the church. It's not just in terms of mass attendance and those things. But but do we value fruitfulness? And no, and, and instead we value just trying to keep the lights on for all the 47 different ministries we have at the parish so we don't make anyone mad because we don't want to get an angry letter in the rectory because we, we hurt someone's feelings along the way. So 
Yeah, I'm really, I'm really wrestling. Like you, you've got me thinking about this of, of, of what we tolerate mm-hmm. in our parishes. Yeah, what we measure is an interesting one too because uh, I can't remember who said it. Some some business guru was talking about how a nonprofit, which is basically what a parish is, has to have both objective and subjective measurements. So, like in a for-profit business, you can kind of determine the objective. You're hitting we, the numbers or we, you're not. Exactly. Yeah. It's very easy to tell, are we winning or losing based on some very objective things. They're not open to interpretation, really. That's like yes or no. And in a nonprofit, you absolutely have some of those too. Like a parish is going to track whether or not the donations are coming in, you know, whether people are tithing or not. That's an objective measurement. You can say, this is how much money we have in the bank. This is how much money we need, blah, blah, blah. But in a nonprofit, if you only um, emphasize the objective, you're actually losing the whole essence of why this thing exists yeah. because the the reason the church exists is not to make budget the church the reason the church exists is to help people be saved to come to to the knowledge of the truth to be transformed by the renewal of their minds to be set free from their sins to, to make be, disciples to be yeah. part of the family Real of disciples. god to, to, yeah it's like go make disciples or something you know go and make yeah um so that's why the church exists but how do you measure uh objectively how do you measure holiness well, there's some things you can acknowledge. You can say, well, this person well, does some behavior. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's actually more of a subjective thing where we're going to choose to to um, we're going to choose to acknowledge this subjective re- reality almost like an objective reality. And what I mean by that is like so somebody has demonstrated they come to us and say, "I I I'm more patient with my kids." How do you measure that objectively? I don't know. Nobody's like walking around like tallying. Oh, they were they were nicer. Blew that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, didn't blow that one. But they're reporting that through their walk as a disciple, they've become more patient with their kids. That should be every bit as celebrated as whether or not we hit budget. And where nonprofits get all sorts of messed up is when objective realities govern the whole behavior, celebration, toleration of the culture, as opposed to, I mean, I would just I'm dying to see a parish that just got so good at bringing stories of God's faithfulness to the parish, mm. stories of God's uh, movement in people's lives. I mean, just think how amazing it would be if every time you went to Mass, somebody stood up in front of the parish and just said, this is what God did in my life this week. Yeah. And the, and you measure that. And, it, oh, we don't have a story this week? That's a problem. Mm. How do we not? What, Probably what? must have been bad last yeah. week. Yeah. No, <laughs> you can <laughs> exactly. measure that. Yeah, no, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, why don't we have a story? Because then it starts to... And, it, and again, you're not... Uh, yeah, so we can we could get into the nuances of that, but the point oh. is really trying to r- bring to the surface and bring to a, a place of primacy um, a little bit more of that subjective reality of what God is doing, but but attributing it to the Lord, but also bringing it to the the congregation. Like this is what we're actually about, and this is what we care most about. We tend to measure lagging indicators, right? Yes, things that are way further downstream. So we, we measure mass attendance and we, we track baptisms and funerals and all those things, but we don't measure the leading ones very well. So I, I, I tend to think about, um, I've talked about this with, with pastors some before, and I think it helps. It's, you know, we have key measurements. We also need key markers, mm. right? So the markers is like, do you have a plan? And then are you giving your plan a chance? Like, does your plan have resources? Is it, are you being faithful to the plan? You know, and it's like, again, that should be the whole strategic plan, but do you, do you know where you're going and what you're doing? Um, you know, we, we tend to see that, that parishes and movements that have a small group discipleship and a relational, com- relational component are incredibly fruitful. Do you have one in your parish? Is it an emphasis in your parish? And that's again, it's like those five things you know your pastor's excited about. Those are the those are the key markers, and the markers aren't going to be something you can measure. It's it's almost just like, are you trying? Yes or no? And, and again, if you can't tell stories of fruitfulness, so I think that that all too often we can like neglect the anecdotal mm-hmm. as the exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, we see all the decline, you know, and that's the reality. And the exception was we had this great men's conference with a lot of guys who were excited about Jesus. Or the exception was this one parish had 24 people in our RCIA last year. Like, well, those are fine, but but actually those stories, I think, and again, this is what we're doing this podcast for, is that that the stories give hope and inspiration. They allow us to say, like, the Lord is moving. I'm confident that God is not dead. And that and that if he can move over there, I, he can move over here too. And he can move in my heart and in my life and in my parish. 
in every generation of the church where there's been tremendous decline, there's been an, an uprising and inspiration of saints. Yep. And the movement of the Holy Spirit almost always goes against the the lagging indicators and the and the trends. And it's um in the, in the same way that when we canonize a saint, we investigate the miracles. And there's no medical explanation usually for why these things happen. They just they just do. And when the Holy Spirit moves, he just he just moves and he moves where he wants. Yeah. And it's it's our job to be receptive and not to block off that movement of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a great example of this is is something like tithing. Um, t- tithing is is a lag measure. It's did somebody choose to put something in the basket? Well, in my experience, and I think this would bear out in in research, like disciples give because they they realize their money is not their own; it belongs to the Lord. And, and there's a generosity of spirit that emerges in, in disciples, people who are really striving to be like Jesus in everything, are more willing to be generous. And so, so the question is, so like if you're, if you're financially struggling, it's hard to say, well, invest in discipleship. It's hard kind of conceptually to say, right. like, that's the yeah, solution. We ask for more money. Right. Yeah. we got to have a better strategy. We need some sort of consultant. We need you, better marketing. we probably we need, need all that, too. Probably. <laughs> right. We need a better way to process it. All that's probably true. But at the end of the day, like, I think if you, if you spent, if you invested time, energy, talent in helping people meet the Lord, be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, be free of serious sin, all of those things... Um, it bears out over time that the, the p- people are more likely to be generous. Good example, again, is the, the men's conference you just referenced. Like, there's an objective measurement of how many guys were in the seats. It's like, okay, we can measure that. It's like 850 or whatever. Uh, did we make budget? You know, we can measure that. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jury's still out. They crunch the numbers. Yeah. yeah, right. But to me, like, that's one way to evaluate the conference. The other way to evaluate the conference is the fact that after you know my talk, I'm not tooting my own horn here. I'm just like after my talk, I was standing there, and about 15 different guys came up to me and wanted to share something that was on their heart. They were transparent about something. Some of it was really good. Some of it was really hard. Some of it was like, "Can you help me with this?" Some of it was like, "I just want you to know God did this." Like, that's that's worth it, you know? Like, how do you, how do you measure that in terms of? finances or anything that's i don't know but that's the whole point of doing a men's conference is to have guys be transformed it's not to make money it's not to just simply have them in the seats it's for them to be able to go from wherever they are to closer to the lord you know well and in the church right now we're talking about evangelization a lot and especially here in st louis with our all things new and our planning and the hard like and it, we i didn't even mean to talk about it in the way we were earlier in terms of like doing the hard thing to make room for the bigger thing. And later I was like, oh, that's what we're just doing with our parishes. And and we've talked about that some here before too. But we're talking about evangelization. We're starting to learn what that means and unpack it and figure it out. And and what we've heard from folks over the last two years is, is, well, it's just talk. Like all you're doing is talking about it. We're not really evangelizing. Like shut up, you know, like teach us to go do something. Um, but again, that that creative inspiration and imagination we're trying to help plant in people. And again, it's being planted in me too, Hmm. is is bearing fruit. We just, um, I was just in a meeting this week and they said our, our right of election, which is people who are signing up for RCIA and getting ready to be confirmed is up 15% this year. You know, and I don't know what it was, um, last year exactly percentage wise over the, the trends exactly, but I know that a 15% increase is not nothing. Yeah. And it's the fruit of saying we need to dream together about what evangelization is. And and then maybe there's a little of like, you know, people are afraid their parish is going to close, so they're making the invitation or, or whatever it is. Like we can start with a bad motive that but but the Lord will purify it too. And 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 so it is. It's 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 giving it to the Lord and saying like we can make a difference. We can do something and then just speaking it into and, and praying it into existence almost sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and when you say 15%, that's, those are real people yeah. with real stories. That So here's a good example. Is the archdiocese going to say we're up 15%? Okay, that's good. That tells one story. Or could you harvest those stories and put those people's faces and their stories in front of people to say, this is what drew me to RCIA? or OCIA or whatever it is yeah. these days. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the idea here is like, okay, this is, a, this is a moment of God moving. God is doing something in these people. And one way to demonstrate it is we had this many people and now we have this many people and it's a, a, 
an increase of 15%. Another way to demonstrate that, maybe with that, is here's three people who that, that woman looks like my neighbor. Oh my gosh, if my neighbor, if she could come to faith, then why couldn't my neighbor? Or that guy looks like my boss who I have given up hope for. Or I know that guy, and he's a real jerk. No. Yes, exactly. You're 100%. <laughs> yeah. And now what we're starting to do is we're starting to fill the imagination, the mind, the the dreams of the believers to say, okay, no, God is doing something here, and it's, and it's not just a number on the page, and it's not just a, a kind of feather in the cap of the diocese, but real human beings are being blessed and are being transformed, are being saved. Uh, that's motivating. And it's, it's culture setting, and it, it lends itself to saying, I want to participate in that. It's sometimes it's, it's hard to participate in a statistic, you know? Yeah, right. How, how, how do I play a role in a statistic? But how do I play a role in someone's story? Okay, I can, I can start to see a way of that. The gospel is incarnational. God exactly. became man. So we right. have to tell those stories, too. All right, we are um, getting uh, close to time here. When I say close to time, I mean we are probably past time. If anyone <laughs> listens to us for this long, God God bless you. Um, you get a T-shirt. But yeah, That's right, yeah. yeah. Send me an email, we'll send you a T-shirt, okay? You can get a free booklet. Evangelization at archstl.org. Um, but one of the things we want to send people home with every week on the podcast is just, okay, we've been talking for a while, but practically speaking, like it, so... We've, and we've kind of covered some institutional stuff today, maybe maybe more than I anticipated, actually. But, you know, it's where, it's where the conversation... I, I can come left. back, yeah. Yeah, that's right. We'll have you again. Um, but if someone in their just day-to-day lives... And, and there's always that balance of institutional and individual because we don't want to act against or away from the institution like we are talking earlier, but sometimes our institutions are slower to pick it up. So. Sure. Institutions respond to individuals going to be saints and then transforming themselves. Well, and to be too. fair, if you're a member of a parish, everywhere you go, you're on parish property, even if it's not the parish building, right? Like the geographic footprint of the parish is not confined to where the Absolutely. the building is. So I like to think of like the barbecues in our backyard that we invite our neighbors to to help them meet the Lord. That's a parish activity. Do they underwrite it for you? Yeah, <laughs> if only. Right? Wouldn't that yeah. be nice? I'll yeah. send them well, the, in the some receipts, ways we underwrite you know? it, so yeah, it's kind of like a yeah. yeah. There you go. Right. Yeah. Um, but but if you wanted to give folks maybe just a couple practical tips to to take home, uh, kind of in light of our conversation about discernment and dreaming and institutions and all those things, maybe any uh, anything you could recommend for them in their day to day lives. Sure. Yeah, a few different things come to mind. One is um, I, I read a book not that long ago called The Way of the Heart by uh, Henry Nouwen. I love Henry Nowen. He's incredible. And uh, good friend uh, Jonathan Lewis is a is a huge Henry Nowen honk. So yeah. Shout out to, yeah. to Jonathan. J. Lou. Uh, and he talks about solitude and silence. And he wrote it. It's based on a series of talks he gave to people who are working in the church. And he's saying, what what is necessary to be fruitful in today's era, looking at the desert fathers and mothers? So kind of a big topic, right? But one of his main points is the the need for solitude and silence. And I, I, I just, the uh, ideally daily time of separation from the noise of the world where you can be alone with God, um, where the, or my spiritual director wants me every time I enter into prayer to say, Lord, let the real me encounter the real you. Like I can just be present to you, not present to anything else, but to you. Um, and solitude and silence for a guy like me is really, really hard. Not only because I'm a father of five, and because I have ADHD, and because I'm easily distracted, but but just be, I, it's just hard. But I found that whether it's driving in the car and not having anything else on, I'm yes, I'm driving, but I'm focused on Jesus. Or setting that timer and throwing my phone across the room, and for ten minutes, I'm just going to sit in this chair and focus on Jesus. You know, solitude and silence is is just it's it doesn't feel practical, but it's incredibly fruitful. Uh, that would be one thing. Another thing is whenever we talk about evangelization, for whatever reason, not whenever, but often when we talk about it, our you know we kind of like our eyes look up and off into the distance, and we consider the the person somewhere out there, someone somewhere out there at some point I'm going to get to share the gospel with. You know, we're like looking to the distant horizon, and I really believe that most of the people we're called to evangelize are the people that we already have a relationship with, that we're already interacting with. Some people will be called to and sent to a foreign land. Most people are embedded in their current reality. And where I think the best place to evangelize is in and through your passions. What do you love yeah, to that's do? That's a great point. What do you love to do? Is it frisbee golf? Great. 
Evangelize all the other people who love Frisbee golf. Is it Kansas City Chiefs football? Great. Evangelize at tailgate. Good time to be a Chiefs fan. Great yeah. time to be a Chiefs fan. Great time to be a Wolverine. Life is good. There you go. Uh, it just because here's one one thing I've noticed is that when we approach evangelization or mission as something that has to be added to our life, right? We hardly ever do it. If like if I have to fit mission into my life, that's going to be tough. It's an overflow. It's an overflow. Exactly. So if it's but if it's seen as as Pope Francis called it, your life is a mission that the vast majority of the people you're called to reach are the people you would already choose to interact with. You're already, because of your workplace, your school, your family, your neighborhoods, and your areas of passion. If, if you have to, again, if you have to choose to go on mission and add it to your life, it's going to be very hard to do. But if you're already choosing to go play pickup basketball, go play pickup basketball as a missionary disciple because that's who you are. It's not hard. It's not actually that hard. Yeah. And it's going to be more fruitful because you already have common ground with that person. Instead of trying to reach somebody who doesn't like you, Start with the people who already like you. Uh, I call it the airport test. If you called somebody and said, hey, can you take me to the airport? And they said yes, it means they probably like you. You know, you don't take like people you don't like to the airport. That's right. Yeah. And so start with those people. And most of the time, those people are right under your nose. We, we so overcomplicate it. And, and a lot of times, those people under your nose are the ones that are a longer term, deeper kind of, it's going to take some time. But to, to not disparage or kind of look past those people, but but to begin with those people. And, and, to, and to pray for them. Pray for them, Make the fast list, for you them. Know, you know, focus uh, after I left, but they developed a tool called the depth chart, and it's very simple. It's, you know, write down three to five names of, uh, uh, and then pray with it. And, and so maybe it's write down 10 names and pray with it and see, Lord, who are you calling me to invest in? Who are yeah. you calling me to speak to? Who are you calling me to reach? And let the Lord bless that list. And if you, if you continue to pray with that list every day, every week, like... All of a sudden, you you start seeing the opportunities that were probably already there that you didn't view as evangelical opportunities, but they're there. And then you start taking, and you start noticing that you missed them. Yeah, right. And then you start taking them. Like the first step is noticing that you missed an opportunity, and then pray for the next one, and then take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last thing I'll say is just uh, it's a simple prayer, but the Lord loves to answer it. It's 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 three words. It's come Holy Spirit, just to give the Holy Spirit permission, and it come is a bit of a a misnomer. It's not so much like the Holy Spirit's out there and going to land on you. It's more of a releasing, a permission in your heart to say, I am a temple of God. God has come and made a home in me. The throne room of heaven in a mysterious way resides in me because God, the Holy Spirit, has been sent by the Son to to dwell in me, um, to be a down payment of my inheritance, right? So, the, I mean, because we, how many times have we said, I don't know what to say, I don't know who to say it to, I don't know when to say it, and I don't have the courage to say it. It's like, yeah, exactly. Which is why the, the Jesus gives us his spirit, to give us and the words to speak. sometimes you say the wrong thing and the dumb thing, and then yeah. later someone's like, man, that was powerful. And you're like, I, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been talking to somebody, and I'm like, man, I don't know what to say here. And I say, come Holy Spirit. And then I start to talk, and I'm listening to myself, and I'm like, man, this is really good. Like, where's this coming from? You know, like I should, I should do this. Yeah. And so, uh, it's just a, such an untapped weapon. I think for a lot of us is to truly believe that, I mean, again, what would it look like if we actually lived as though the full power of God lived in us? I don't know. I'm not there yet. It would transform the church. It It would would transform the world. Yeah. Make disciples. That's a saint. Absolutely. Let's do it. Well, will you, uh, will you, Pray us out here and, and invite the Holy Spirit into our lives and into the lives of those who are who are listening. Absolutely. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your leadership. We thank you for the fact that you speak to us in a way that we can understand and hear you. And Lord, I pray for all my brothers and sisters who are listening or watching this, Lord, that they would uh, know you more deeply. They would be purified by you, and that your spirit would come alive in us in a new and more powerful way. Lord, let the same spirit that animated and drove the apostles at Pentecost fill our hearts and our minds and our bodies and our souls and our spirits and and just and propel us into the mission field. Uh, John Paul II said that the church was born on the move through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, get us moving in your spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming on, and let's uh, go and make disciples. Woo! Go and make. <laughs> Did I ruin that? <laughs> <laughs>